Hey, would you give it up for our buddy John Talbot for being our Grinch, okay? His, his mother is uh, watching our services online from Madison, and she uh, watched the first week and called John and said, I cannot believe that somebody talked you into doing that. So when your mama is shouting you out, you got something going, don't you, huh? So thanks so much for John doing that. When I first saw that bumper video we using, I, I loved the idea of it because it was setting the stage uh, for the theme of what we've been studying this month leading up to Christmas. And, and the theme kind of comes down, would you want that guy at your Christmas? And how can you prevent you from being that guy? How, how, how do we ungrinch Christmas? How do, we, how do we uphold joy during the season when things get a little crazy? And so that was kind of the theme of it. And we've been presenting some ideas on how you can do that. And so week one... Be very careful about overextending yourself too much and instead learn to put those, those periods of pauses, intentional pauses, reset times for your body, your mind, and your soul, and your spirit. I mean, that is a big, big deal in God's mandate. So that was week one. And then last week in week two, we suggested in order for joy to be maintained, you've got to work out somehow this idea of being financially generous, but not ruining yourself financially. And you just got to work through that. That is a, that is a really big deal to God. So we arrive at, at our third week that we're going to close it out, falling still under the same umbrella. How can I make sure that my Christmas, Christmas for my family, how can I make sure that it's joy and not Grinch? And the third week has everything in the world to do with a census. Now, if you're familiar with the Christmas story at all, you know that the census has something to do with how God writes the Christmas story. And, and what we're gonna do, what we're gonna do with this study is we're gonna look behind the scenes of the census because something happens back there that makes radical sense of why some things go on in our lives. And you'll see that when we leave, but it's about a census. One of my favorite stories is your story about the, the census taker who called a, a house and uh, he got on the other end of the line, uh, the little son of the family, little five-year-old Timmy. And Timmy was whispering when he talked on the phone. He picked the phone up and he said, hello. And the census taker said, hey there, who am I talking to? Timmy. He said, Timmy, how old are you? He said, I'm he said, Timmy, is your dad there? He said, yeah. He said, well, can I talk to him? No, he's busy. He said, well, is your mom there? Oh, yeah. Could I talk to your mom? No, she's busy. He said, well, do you have any older brothers or sisters in the house? Yeah. Could I talk to one of them? No, they're busy. He said, well, Timmy, is there anybody else in the house? And Timmy said, yeah, the fire. The firemen, what are the firemen? Can I talk to one of the? No, 
they're all busy too. And the guy said, well, Jimmy, with all those people in the house, what are they all doing? They're all busy. He said, they're looking for me. <laughs> I love that story of a census. You might have read the census in the Bible when it deals with the Christmas story, and, and you might have kind of went right through it and didn't catch that there's some stuff going on behind the curtain that is fascinating. Let me, let me show you in the verse that we're all familiar with as Luke begins to present his story of Christmas in his writing. He said, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. We've all read that before. Every one of us have. But pay attention to the name Caesar Augustus. And what you're going to find out in that one little sentence there is there is packed behind it, behind the creation of the census, there is packed in there the reasoning, listen carefully to this, the reasoning why we go through some of the seasons that we do in our life. And all of us deal with that from time to time is we hit these seasons in our life where maybe everything is kind of falling apart and it's not going right. And sometimes it is the opposite of that where everything is going incredible in our life and we just go through these periods of life and sometimes it's blessing and favor and sometimes it's chaos and confusion. And if you've ever went through a period, a season, a chapter in your life where you sat back and you wondered, what in the world? world is going on. I mean, we've all dealt with that. And we've dealt with that maybe more than we've ever done with it in our whole life during this last year. Just crazy times. And you sit back and say, man, why is all that happening? And the reason for it might be found in the census. Now, in order to kind of catch all that, I want, you to take your, I want you to take your mind for a second, and I want you to think about timing, about why things happen when they do. And you've probably wrestled through that at times. Well, I think we all get to that point in our life from time to time where we wonder about the timing events. And the Bible has a lot to say about timing. And how God works in that. Check this verse out. I want to bring it tonight. Just kind of present the idea. My times are in your hands, the psalmist wrote. And what he was saying was that all the events of my life don't happen by happen chance, but they are orchestrated by God. That God directs the win of the things that happen in all of our lives. And so the biblical narrative is that God is in charge of the timing of everything. And you begin to find that come up over and over in the Bible, that concept, and particularly when it comes to the birth of Jesus. Look at what Paul wrote about the birth of Jesus in the book of Galatians. He said, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Do you see that? The time had come. And some people look at that and they think, well, what that's talking about is that it's talking about the day that Jesus was born. And there's actually some debate on what is the actual date and year in which he was born. I don't think it's talking about that at all. What it's saying is that a lot of things had to come to place. A lot of things had to happen. A lot of pieces had to be put into place for the perfect time for Jesus to be born. And God was in charge of all that timing. 
You find the same thing coming up in this next scripture that I want you to see. Later in Luke's story, he said, and while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now, I've heard people say that they read that, and what that's saying is that Mary was at 40 weeks. In other words, Jesus was not a preemie, okay? People look at that verse and think, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's way deeper than the fact that Mary was at full-term pregnancy. What Luke was saying is that in order for Jesus to be born, there were a lot of things that had to happen. They had to happen at the exact right time. They had to be put in the right place. And when they were all finally together, now he can be born. That was the point. And one of the pieces, listen to this, one of the pieces that had to be put into place was a census. And instead of just reading through that first verse and not paying any attention to the idea of a census, I want you to love me. I want you to let me do this tonight. I want you to stay with me as I do this. I want to go behind the curtain and I want to look at the pieces of the census and it's going to come to light about maybe why you go through some of the seasons of life that you go through. Now, if you're going to understand the census... It is imperative to know a little bit of history, and I want to talk to you about a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. Now, we remember that name from history when we were in school and bored out of our brains and our teacher was teaching history. Julius Caesar was the the head. He was the top dog of the Roman kingdom. And he was an incredible politician, incredible life that he had. A little bit ornery, but unbelievable leader, unbelievable politician in history. Julius Caesar had this whole massive kingdom in Rome that he was in charge of. And the interesting thing back in those days was that when a politician came to the end of his political career, it wasn't because he met, he met his term limit. It wasn't because he got outvoted. It was because he died. And that's how you left the political world to die. Now listen to this. In 44 BC, this is important, please don't lose me. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar shows up on the Rome Senate floor for their Senate gathering. And at that point, there was some tension and some people not liking him. And some of the senators on the floor came up to the stage and attacked him and murdered him right there in the Senate. You think American politics are crazy? And so Julius Caesar was dead. And so now we've got to bring in, we've got to bring in a successor to that. And back in those days, the way you normally did that was your son, your heir, your firstborn son. The problem is Julius Caesar didn't have any sons. And so they found out upon his death that he'd written a will. And he had a grand nephew. It wasn't even his nephew. It was his great nephew by the name of Octavius. And Julius Caesar had put in his will, because he knew at some point they were going to kill him, that upon his death, he wanted to adopt Octavius as his own son so that Octavius could lead the Roman kingdom. Now, that seems so simple. Now Octavius takes over, but it wasn't that easy. 
because now there were other people who wanted to be a part of the leadership. And you had all different people kind of jumping in the circle saying, I want to be the leader. I want to run for it. It kind of reminds us of our presidential season when we start out and we got all these people on stage at the first debate. And so all these people start jumping in the circle and two people who were prominent, one by the name of Mark Antony and one by the name of Decimus Brutus. Now, I don't know about you, but name alone, I'm going for Brutus. I want a president by the name of Brutus. And so these three guys, listen to this, start to compete against each other with political maneuvering and, and illegalities and all kinds of crazy family stuff. And they are battling to the point of near civil war in Rome. Listen to this, for 14 years. For 14 years, the Roman kingdom didn't know who was going to be the leader. We're wigged out because our election was a few weeks ago, and there's still fuzziness about it. 14 years. And at the end of the 14 years of chaos and craziness, Octavius comes out as the leader and now Rome has expanded so that Octavius becomes the leader, the first ever emperor leader of the Roman Empire. And so now Octavius is leading all of this. And one of the things that was normal happened in those years is sometimes when you had a radical change in your life, they would change your name. And so the Senate of Rome now recognizing Octavius as our leader, ask him to change his name to Augustus. And they ask him to change his name to Augustus because the word Augustus means to illumine greatly. And so may the glory and the praise and the illumination of the goodness and power of this man, Octavius, become more and more. So we'll call you Augustus. And Augustus then said, I'll only let you do that on one occasion, is I don't want to lose my connection to my great uncle, Julius Caesar. And so here's the deal. I want to be known as Caesar Augustus. And now Caesar Augustus is leading the Roman Empire. And during all of this craziness, he was a hellacious, troublesome horrible, backstabbing man. But when he became the emperor of the Roman Empire, something changed in him. And he calmed down and he started doing a lot more good than bad. He began, you historians will recognize this, a period called Pax Romana, which is 200 years in the Roman Empire of peace and prosperity. It was an incredible period of time. He began to build roads as the first people ever on the earth. He began to, a Roman road system that changed the way we travel and still has something to do with us today. And later in his leadership, in his term, he came to the point where he said, I wonder if we ought to have a census. 
I wonder if we ought to count our people and see how many people there are and whether we have enough guys for military to protect ourselves and whether we can have some form of taxation to keep the power and the prestige of our empire. And uh, Caesar Augustus decided we're going to have a census. Now, here's why all of that is important, because historians tell us that Caesar Augustus is the only guy, the only one of all those competing who would have ever thought of doing a census. Nobody else would have bothered by that, but only Caesar Augustus said we need to have a census. Now, why is that important? Why is all of that history so incredibly important to understand the power of what the Bible tells us? Well, the reason it's important is because at the very time of the census, don't miss me, hang with me, it's gonna get interesting in a minute. At the very time that all the census is going on, there's a young couple living in Nazareth who are about to expect their first child. And this couple learns that a census has been decreed and we've got to go 90 miles to Bethlehem and we've got to register for the census. And that was a tough trip in those days. I mean, here's what it would be like. Let's all meet here tomorrow morning at eight o'clock and we're going to walk to the south side of Indy. That's what it was like. And can you imagine doing that during a rough terrain when you are nine months pregnant? Now, can you imagine all of that and then ask the question, why did they have to go to Bethlehem to do the census? Well, the answer is very clear. And the answer is because the title of the song is not, O Little Town of Nazareth. They had to go to Bethlehem. That's not really the reason, is it? The reason is because long ago, God proclaimed through his prophet Micah these words, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So God looks at this couple and says, I've got to get you to Bethlehem. How am I going to do that? I'm going to work through chaotic events, through a different set of characters, through time of 14 different years, and I've got to put all the pieces in place and put all the people where they need to be at the exact time so this couple can walk 90 miles to Bethlehem to have a baby. Now, you might hear all that and say, that's kind of a cool story, fascinating, I never know. But what in the world does that have to do with the life I'm living in the stink, stank, stunk year of 2020? What in the world does all that have anything to do with me? Well, the answer is very clear. Because you and I serve a God. Don't miss this. You miss this, you wasted your time tonight. We serve a God who is busy behind the scenes, behind the curtain, putting pieces into place and moving people and working on that 
and trying to get everything where it needs to be so that during your season, good season, bad season, chaotic season, favorable season, during whatever you're going through, God is back there behind the curtain, putting it all together to get you finally to the point that he can accomplish his purpose in your life. Now, you may never have thought about that, but if you evaluate the times that you've walked through in your life and you've thought about it and you begin to ask things, I wonder why that happened then. I wonder why I'm going through this right now. I wonder why that happened and then this happened over here. I I wonder why I'm in this valley and I haven't been able to get out of the valley. I I wonder why God is so good and he's placed me on a mountain right now and life is just really good. And if you ever stop for just a second and look at your life and what's going on and ask yourself, I wonder what's going on. And God would say, because I'm the master behind the curtain who moves the pieces and puts things into place so that everything finally gets exactly where it is so that I can reveal my purpose for you. Now, that sounds all cool and everything until you start continue to read in Luke's story. And then Luke brings up right in his story, almost out of the blue, he brings up this this group of shepherds who while all the census stuff is happening, these guys in the middle of the night, employed by somebody to watch their animals in the middle of the night so nobody will hurt them and no animals will, ferocious animals will get their sheep. And, And here's these guys and all of a sudden an angel shows up before them. Now you've read the verse, you've heard it hundreds of times. Look at it again. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let me tell you what I like about this verse, probably because I'm honoring, I've got a terrible sense of humor. I think there are times when you read something in the Bible, and you look at it and you go, I don't know about that. So I'm going to believe it, but man, i got to have faith. And you know, Lazarus raised from the dead, okay? The sea splits open. Little, little boy kills a giant. You read it and say, okay, I believe it, but you know, that's kind of a stretch. I gotta. Then there are times you read and go, oh man, I completely understand that. So watch this, middle of the night. All of a sudden, an angel shows up, and they were terrified. I can understand that, okay? If you and I wrote it, it'd say something like, and they started screaming like little fifth-grade girls, or they they wet their pants, or something. You look at that, and you go, I completely get that. But don't miss what's happening. Don't miss this. That God is the master of doing things behind the curtain that you might not even know about, and, and so this happens at this point, and that happens at this point, and that happens to that person, and this person comes into your life, and that person goes out of your life, and all this stuff is just, you know, going on behind the curtains, and you're wondering what in the world's going on. And then all of a sudden, please don't miss it, all of a sudden, God intervenes. Now, I don't want you to think 
that the norm for God is to intervene in your life as an angel. Now, I'm not going to say that he can't. There are no verses to my knowledge that says God's saying, I'm going to come to a point where I'm not going to use angels anymore. In fact, I think there are verses where he says, hey, I'm going to use angels a lot. So I'm not saying that you're going about in life and all of a sudden God shows up in an unusual way as an angel. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when the pieces get put to place where they need to be, listen, and everything's where it needs to happen now. God shows up. And he does so in such an unusual way that you will not miss him. A number of years ago, I went through a few things after my mom died. And it took me a while to be able to stand up in front of our church here and tell you some things that I went through. Because I thought you would think I was crazy. I finally decided to do it. And this is the truth. When I was sitting at my desk one time realizing I've been here long enough, they already know I'm crazy. And so I shared some things that I understood as God's intervention in my life. Let me recap one of those. It was the first Sunday that I was going to preach after my mama died. My mama was my greatest fan for me as a preacher. She thought I was, you know, Billy Graham would look at me and go, I want to be like that boy someday. So she just, you know, she, she had the mother thing going. If you lived in southern Indiana and you didn't come to Eastside Christian Church to hear her son preach, she didn't think you were going to go to heaven. So she kind of had that view, okay? And so when she died, um, my first Sunday back here, I took a few weeks off. We had a lot of things to do. And the first Sunday back in the pulpit was kind of an earth-shattering thing. It was the very first time my mom was on this earth when I preached. And it, it rattled me. And so I got up that morning. It was a summer morning. I got up about 6 o'clock in the morning. And I went outside in my backyard. We've got a swing there. I love to hang out on the swing. And I went back there. I had a copy of the newspaper, the Courier-Journal. And I had my iPad with my sermon. I was going to sit back there for about an hour and a half and, and just read the paper and mull over the sermon a little bit before I came here. And I'm sitting there for a little bit. And a bird comes right by me and lands about three foot behind me on a fence and just stares at me. Now, it's unusual for a bird to stop that close to a human being, and it, just, and it just stared there, and it kind of wigged me out. I thought, what is going on? And then finally, I kind of turned around a little, and I looked back at it, and I stared at it. And he was staring at me, and I was staring. Oh, if you had that on video, we could have made some cash out of that. And we're just staring at each other, and I thought, what in the world is going on? I took the newspaper. You know, it's Sunday edition of the Courier-Journal. I mean, it used to be about this thick, but, you know, I'm wrestling it. I'm opening it up and everything, birdie moving. And that happened for probably, my guess would be maybe two or three minutes, and I was, I was just eventually so wigged out that I got up and I walked back to my house backwards looking at that bird, and that bird never moved. I got in my house, went up in the kitchen where I had an eyesight to the swing. I looked at the swing, and the bird was gone. And so I go up, and I'm getting dressed, and I'm thinking, was that her? Was that God? Was that a bird wanting to take a peck out of my flesh because it was hungry? 
And I don't think any of us ever know enough to say definitely what that was when those things happened to you. But I'm gonna tell you, here's how I took it. I got in my car and I just was overwhelmed with a sense, go do your thing, man, go do your thing. And I drove here that morning and I did my thing to preach. Now there are people in this room right now who are thinking, Dude, I know exactly what you're talking about and you've never told anybody because you think people will think you're crazy. Now, I don't want you to go all loony on me. I don't want you to start thinking everything that happens is some kind of thing like that and you know, 15 times an angel appeared to you. I don't, I don't want you to do that. What I want you to hear this, I want you to hear the concept of it is that God is behind the curtain in our lives and he puts things where they need to be and he involves himself in people and events and times and places and he's arranging all these things and when all the pieces are where God needs them to be, God sometimes will show up in an absolutely unusual way because he wants to get your attention. And there will be people this weekend, some in this room right now, who know what I'm talking about because the unusual experience that you're dealing with right now has been the intervention of God saying to you, everything is in place now. Now again, I don't want you to look at that and think, okay, that's, that's craziness, that's silliness. What I want you to learn is what happened when God did that with this young couple and the shepherds. You probably have never seen this. Look at what the angels said to the shepherd. Look at it. You will find a baby. That verse right there, listen carefully. That verse right there is why God works behind the curtains of your life to get everything where it needs to be so that he can show up so that you will see Jesus. And we miss it all, gang, because we think God's number one goal is that I get this job, or God's number one goal is that relationship is healed, or God's number one goal for me is that I'm healed and I feel better, or God's number one goal for me is that I don't have that addiction. And I'm not telling you that God isn't concerned about any of that because he's concerned about all of that, but that is not his primary activity behind the curtain of your life. His primary activity is get you to see Jesus. My prayer, my earnest, heartfelt prayer this season is that you and I both come to understand, and I'm not talking about saying, okay, I agree with it. I'm talking about I understand to where I live it. Listen, that joy, the greatest of joy, is not that all the presents are perfect, and it's not that the house is decorated better than anybody in the neighborhood, and it's not that we got all the food and all the gatherings and all the music. All that's great. I hope all of it happens for you in your life, but none of that is the reason for the census in your life. 
Joy happens when you move toward the baby. And God will work behind the scenes of your life to put everything in place to get it where it all needs to be so that he can show up in an unusual way, intervene in your life, and point you to his son. My prayer for you this Christmas that is in the midst of the season that you're living in right now that you finally recognize that your loving father is pointing you to the baby. Father, I thank you for what you did in the Christmas story. It's incredible. I thank you that it's not your only story, that you replicate it over and over in the lives of people. I've seen you do it in my life more than once. And I'm, I'm sorry for the times that I missed it. I'm sorry for the times that you put everything into place and you worked so hard and so long and in so many ways and I never saw it. So may this year that change for us. May this year we see that you're always pointing to your son. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.